Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning, church family. We are glad that you are here today. If you're a guest with us this morning, we just ask you to do one thing. If you take your worship program, there's a card on there we call the connection card. If you'd fill that out and take it out to the orange tent, uh, that would be a wonderful blessing to us. We just want to know how you heard about us as a church, and then we're going to give you a gift and also make a donation uh, to a ministry that also exists like we do to connect people to Jesus for life change. And it's a ministry that rescues people out of human trafficking situations and uh, tells them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you'd take a moment and fill that card out, that would be wonderful this morning. I hope you've had a great Labor Day weekend so far. I was telling the first service this morning, I was walking up the steps of my house, my six-year-old's at the bottom of the steps, and she looked at me and said, Dad, what's Labor Day? I said, you don't have to work on Monday. She went, Yes! <laughs> I don't know how much work she was getting done on Monday anyways, but uh, we were glad for that. And uh, hey, Dave. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to come up here, but we're glad you're here. Uh, this is Dave Cook. He's doing some video today, apparently, and uh, we're glad that he's here with us this morning. And uh, we've got a guest speaker with us today, too. His name is Peter Rochelle. Pastor Peter's been here before, and so some of you know him well and uh, almost like part of our family. But he's the founding pastor of a church called Church on the Rock. Uh, here in town, and so he can mention a little bit about that uh, to you as well, and he's a, a father, a pastor, loves camp, uh, was at one time the executive director of Camp Oak Hill, and also a area director for FCA Ministry, which is a ministry a fellowship of Christian athletes, which our church partners with. They're one of our strategic partners in this community to try and reach people in the athletic field, and uh, so we are excited about having him here with us today, and I think the message he's going to bring this morning is a great, really, wrap-up, a bookend to the series we were doing called While You're Waiting, and so we were doing this series while you're waiting, those of you who haven't been around with us, and talking about waiting on the Lord. We've all got something that we're waiting on. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we talked about in the second week how we live in the already and the not yet. And there's this tension that there's these things that have been promised to us by God. We don't fully experience them until we're with Jesus, until he comes back. And so we're in this, this tension moment where we can be certain of these things. They're true. They were promised because of who promised them. Absolute certainty, a biblical kind of hope that we can have. Not a hope like I wish, but a hope of certainty. But we're not going to fully experience them until we're with Jesus. And today what Pastor Peter is going to preach about is the place that we're going to be with Jesus, our Father's house. And so uh, that's a tension, something that we're all waiting for, all longing for. Whenever you sense that stuff isn't right here, you know there's a better place. And so he's going to be talking to us about that this morning. I'm going to pray for him and uh, pray for all of us as he opens up the scriptures. We're going to be in John chapter 14 today. So if you want to jump there ahead in your apps or any of that kind of stuff, feel free to do so. And Pastor Peter, if you want to come on up here, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, Pastor Rochelle is really a partner in the gospel in this city, has blessed our church family before, and I know he's going to bless us again right now. So I'm going to pray. Pray for him and pray for us. Father, thank you for Pastor Peter being able to be here with us today. Thank you for his church. I pray for Church on the Rock as they meet right now, that your, your word would go forth and that you would challenge those that are the believers in you to walk faithful with you. I pray for those that don't know you, you challenge them to come to know you. I pray for Pastor Peter as he opens up the scriptures to us right now, that you just empower him with your spirit. Give him confidence in your word, and give him boldness to, to say whatever it is you desire for him to say this morning. I pray for each one of our hearts. Open our hearts. Help us to be vulnerable before you. We, we just sang the song that we need you. And I pray those wouldn't just be words that we sing, a religious ritual or something, that you would Help our hearts to be in that spot, that we need you. We want you to come through. We want you to speak to us. Think about what Pastor Seth was saying, even about being exhausted, moving into his house. Thank you for him. Thank you for the blessing that he's been to our church body. But so many of us come in that spot. Lord, we just we need this time with you. I pray you'd meet with us. Let your presence be known. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Pastor Scott. Well, good morning. Can we give the Lord Jesus just a hand clap this morning? Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, I did this first service. Um, I told them I went to a Wake Forest football game this week. And when Wake Forest came out of the tunnel, the cheer that Wake Forest football team received was much louder than the cheer we just gave the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you another chance to redeem yourself this morning. Let, let's give the Lord Jesus Christ a great hand clap this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, I praise God just for this opportunity to be here. I praise God for your pastor, Pastor Scott, and just for his friendship, his um, graciousness to me um, over the years, allowing me to come and just stand here where he normally stands and teaches the Word of God, and just for his trust in me and uh, the great hospitality that my family and I always feel when we're here. My wife and my girls are here. They made it, Pastor Scott, this service. So, Kim and the girls, would y'all just like wave? And uh, they're, 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 they're the, the, the pretty brown girls over there. They're mine. And uh, so I praise the Lord they were able to make it. And uh, I'm just glad to be here. It, it, it really is a blessing to me to be able to come and to share uh, with you this morning. I pray that God would just encourage your heart, my heart this morning as we look into this word. And I think you're already in John 14, perhaps. Um, before we look into the scripture, Scott, Pastor Scott mentioned that, um, that I am a, a person who loves camp. I grew up going to camp. I uh, went to a camp uh, north of here about an hour and 15 minutes. The camp was called Camp Oak Hill. And I grew up going to this camp. I worked there when I was in college, when I was in seminary. I had a break between uh, pastoring, where I went back to this camp, was the executive director for uh, several years, and I just loved camp. I uh, was involved in FCA as well, and what I loved about FCA was the camps that we did, and just to, to see the gospel go out to the, the, the athletes and coaches and kids and coaches come to know Christ. It was just awesome. Um, I'm still involved in camp a little bit. I, I'm a camp pastor. One week out of the summer, I give to a little camp up in uh, Littleton, North Carolina. It, the camp is called um, uh, Camp Willow Run. A wonderful camp. I don't know if anybody goes to Willow Run or knows about Willow Run. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And uh, just awesome camp. So I get to go up and be the camp pastor there uh, once, a, once a week. Uh, and I've done that for about eight years. And uh, and uh, just love camp. One of the things I love about camp, though, is I love the camp songs. And I remember the first time I ever went to camp, I was just so struck by the camp songs that we sang. And there was one years ago when, we, uh, when I was at Camp Oak Hill, uh, and the song was about heaven. And it was just called Heaven is a Wonderful Place. Now, I'm not going to sing the song for you this morning because I don't do solos unless I'm in the shower or if I'm driving the car by myself. It's the only time I do a solo. It would not be good for me to do a solo. That would be a stumbling block uh, for me to do a solo. I'm not gifted like Seth and Crystal and our music team. So I'll just tell you the chorus, okay? But the chorus was really simple. and It was, it was only a chorus. And, and the chorus was, heaven is a wonderful place. Filled with glory and grace, I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. And then you would just keep doing that, and it would get faster and faster and faster. And there was a part for guys, a part for girls. And it was just this incredible song that got the whole camp pumped. 
There's this other song that we used to sing at SCA camp. So years later when I started going to SCA camp, there was this song by a group called Audio Adrenaline. Is anybody familiar with Audio Adrenaline? Yes, they get you pumped up. The name suggests that, right? Well, they did this song called The Father's House. And whenever this song would play, at, whenever our worship leader would, would lead us in this song, rather, at FCA camp, I mean, the house would just come down. I mean, kids were standing in their chairs. You know, everybody was dancing. I mean, it was just this incredible atmosphere whenever we did The Father's House by Audio Adrenaline. Now, if you know the song, let me just give you the chorus. Again, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to give it to you. Uh, 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 Come and go with me. And there were hand motions to this thing, too. Come and go with me to my Father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. It has a big, big table with lots and lots of food. It has this big, big yard where we can play what? Football. It's this big, big house. It's my father's house. And, and it, this song was just incredible. And again, the energy and just, you would just get juiced and pumped. And I remember as we sang this song, I remember that I began to think about the Father's house for the first time. I've been a Christian for many years and had never really given much thought to the Father's house. And it was when we sang this song that I, I, I kind of thought, wow, I've been a Christian for several years now, and I just have never even thought about the Father's house. And I don't know about you. I don't know where you are in this. Do you give much thought to the Father's house? You think about heaven. I just turned 50 this year, and, uh, and I'm still relatively young, but, but as I get older, I think about my mortality more and more. I think about the fact that, that, that I'm not going to live forever on this earth, that one day I'm going to die, or one day Jesus is going to come back, and he may come back before I die. But one of those two things are going to happen in my life and your life. Either we're going to die because we're mortal beings, right? Or Jesus will come back. And when Jesus comes back, for those of us that are believers that know Christ as our Savior, we will go to this place called the Father's house. And I don't know if you think about heaven much, but, but somebody once said this. Uh, they, they said this, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but they said we can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I don't agree with that because here's my story, y'all. Sometimes I'm so earthly minded, I'm no heavenly good. And I found in my story, just me, that the more heavenly minded I am, the more earthly good I do. Because when I have eternity in, 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 in view, then it, it really impacts the way I live. It impacts the way I wor- uh, worship. It impacts the way I witness. It impacts my entire Christian walk. And so this morning, I want us to think about the Father's house. And Jesus wants us to think about the Father's house. Listen to John 14. Listen to what Jesus says here in this gospel. He says here, beginning in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I like that. You may have an ESV or an NIV. It'll say rooms there. This is the New King James. I like the idea of having a mansion because I probably won't have one here. But up there, I like the idea of having a mansion. You know, that's pretty cool. 
But in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas kind of keeps it real in verse 5. Thomas, if he doesn't understand, he'll ask the question, right? He says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, listen to Revelation 21. Revelation will be just a support text for us this morning. And uh, I appreciate that amen back there. I think it was Brother Steve Trexler. That's my buddy back there. But Revelation chapter 21. 1 through 8, the screen may say 1 through 7, but that's a typo on my, my part. But listen, uh, John, who, who penned the Gospel of John, also receives the revelation from Jesus. Okay, And listen to what he, he writes here. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. No more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely. To him who thirsts, he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will, I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, uh, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Jesus begins to teach us about the Father's house. And this morning, I, I, I pray that this will be a source of encouragement to you. Six things about the Father's house. First of all, I want us to notice the place of heaven. The place of heaven, or the place called the Father's house. Back in John 14, Jesus starts this thing off, and he, he gives his disciples a command. It's kind of a subtle command. We, we read this, and we don't feel like it's a command. But in verse 1, he gives them the command, and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And so as you read that, you ought to ask the question, well, why was their hearts troubled in the first place? What was going on in the life of the disciples? And right here is Jesus and the twelve. His, his original 12 disciples, the 12 that he had chosen to follow him and, and, and to be with him. And he was pouring his life into them because they would carry this gospel mission on after he was gone. The 12. And he's with the 12 and the 12 
are troubled, they're bothered, they're filled with anxiety. What's going on in their hearts that, that, that's caused them to be troubled? Well, I think the answer is in ver, uh, chapter 13. You go back and read that and you find that Jesus says a lot of things to them that really shook them up, really troubled them. It was almost like in chapter 13, Jesus begins to drop a bomb on them, so to speak. In chapter 13, beginning in verse uh, uh, 18, uh, Jesus lets them know that one of them would betray him. He was referring to Judas. We know that story that Judas was the one who betrayed him for uh, 30 pieces of uh, silver. Uh, And he lets them know that, hey, one of you guys are going to betray me. Well, well, they start thinking, is it me? Peter's like, yo, is it me? John's like, hey, is is it me? Andrew, uh, is it me? Bartholomew, they're like, is it me? And they're troubled by this, this idea that one of them, one of Jesus' boys, so to speak, is going to betray him. And Jesus tells them that it's Judas, but, but they still don't get that. And they're troubled thinking that maybe they're going to betray Jesus. And then later on in, 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 in chapter 13, in verse 36, Jesus lets Peter know, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter's like, no, Lord, I got your back. You know, Lord, I'm one of your boys. I got your back. I'm faithful. I'll never let you down. I'm going with you all the way, Jesus. No no way that I would ever uh, 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 deny you. These other guys, hey, they're not as committed as me, but, but, but I'm committed, and I'm going all the way. And Jesus is like, no, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I imagine this troubled Peter. And then Jesus tells them uh, that he is going away and that they can't come with him right now. And I really think this shook, shook them up. I mean, think about this. They have been walking with Jesus for three years. And now Jesus is saying goodbye in a sense. I'm going to the cross. I'll be buried. I will rise again. I'm going to heaven, but you guys can't go with me right now. And their hearts were troubled. Let me ask you a question this, this morning. Is anybody's heart troubled this morning? Is there anything going on in your life that's causing your heart to be filled with worry and anxiety and and hopelessness? Is your heart troubled this morning? Maybe like the disciples, you're troubled because of the future. I think in a sense that as they thought about the future and the future without Jesus, Jesus is going away, right? What are we going to do? And maybe that's you. You say, hey, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know about tomorrow. I got a lot of uncertainty. And maybe your heart is troubled this morning. Maybe your heart is troubled over a relationship or something going on in your family. Or or maybe your your heart is troubled because you've been to the doctor and the doctor has said, you know what, it's terminal. And maybe your heart is troubled. What are we to do when our hearts are troubled? Well, Jesus gives them the answer. Look at what he says in chapter 14, verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he tells them what to do. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Here's what we're to do when we have hearts that are troubled. Trust God. Trust God. Trust God. I know you were expecting something deep and spiritual and just uh, just something amazing there, but trust God. 
And I find that when, when my heart is troubled, when I'm going through anxiety, when I have fear about tomorrow or whatever it is that's going on in my heart, God always brings me back to this. Believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says. Trust God. And Jesus wants them to trust him. And then he begins to unpack for them. And remember, keep in mind, Jesus is going away. Hey, we can't come with you. Hey, believe God. Trust me, Jesus says. Because let me tell you something about where I'm going. Let me tell you something about my father's house. And so he, he tells them, first of all, the place of the father's house. Verse 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, and, I go to prepare a place for you. The key word there to me is the word place. Now, this is pretty interesting to me. In the original language, the Greek, the word place there is the Greek word topos. We get the English word topography from that word. In essence, this is what Jesus is saying. Heaven is a real, tangible place. And when you read Revelation 21, you see that. And that's why John sees a city, a real city. Coming down out of heaven from God. He sees this new Jerusalem, this, this, this new city coming. It's a real city. And it's got gates and walls. Uh, uh, Revelation 21 will let us know that, that, that the gates are made of pearls. And Revelation 21 will let us know the streets are made of gold. It's a real tangible place. And, and you read Revelation 21, and, and, and you get a sense that, wow, this is incredible. Heaven is for real. It's not just a figment of someone's imagination. That it's a real, tangible place, topaz, place. And you might say, well, where is it? Well, I'm glad you asked. All I can tell you is this. Heaven is up. And one day, heaven will come down. Listen to these verses again in Revelation 21. Listen to what he says here. He says here, John, verse 2 of 21, he says he saw the holy city. What's the holy city? New Jerusalem. It's a real city. It has a real name, New Jerusalem. And he says it's literally coming down out of heaven from God. Down in verse 9, he says... Uh, um, it's not verse 9, excuse me. Anyway, later after verse 9, he says again, it is coming down out of heaven from God. And so heaven is up, and one day it will come down. This real city, this real place with real gates, with real streets will come down. And it will rest upon this new earth that God will create. And you and I will dwell in that place forever. And notice what he says back in John 14, that it has many rooms. Many rooms or, 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 or it has many mansions as my translation says it. In other words, here's what I, what I get excited about. There's enough room for everybody. Look, I would love for you all to come to our house in Nightdale. 
And if I extended this invitation to you today, hey, after church, let's all go over to my house. I would love for you to come. But if all of you came, there wouldn't be enough room. There just wouldn't be. I don't have a big enough house. That's not the case with the Father's house. It's a, it, it has many rooms. And guess what? There's enough room for all of us. And, and here's the great news. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, hey, you can come to Christ. You can repent of your sins. You can trust Jesus. Believe in him with all of your heart. And guess what? There's room for you in the Father's house. The place of the Father's house. Look at the second thing. I love this probably the best. The preparation of heaven. We see the place of heaven, but notice the preparation of it. Look at verse 2 again. He says in verse 2, I go at the end of it to prepare, highlight that word, a place for you. And if I go, verse 3, and prepare a place for you. Heaven is a prepared place. It's prepared. In other words, heaven is not just thrown together. You know what it's like when something's prepared as opposed to when it's really not prepared? I mean, everybody, how many know what it's like to be unprepared? Raise your hand. Yeah, we're all there. That seems to be our story, right? You know, you show up at work and you got a presentation and you just kind of go, oh, man, if I just had another day to get this presentation together and you don't feel what? Prepared. You know how it is as a student, right? I mean, you have tests and quizzes and papers due and you just go, man, if I just had another week and I could study or write this paper because you don't feel prepared, you know? But when something's prepared, it's really good, right? I mean, think about um, uh, 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 maybe a meal. I don't know if you ever had a meal like this where it just really wasn't prepared well. Just it's kind of thrown together and you just kind of look at it and you're like, oh, wow. This is it? I'm not saying your wife cooks like that. My wife doesn't cook like that, but I'm just using this as an example. I'll probably get in trouble, Scott, when I get home for using this example. But, but, but you know, it's, it's just kind of, but, but then when you walk into a meal and it's like, whoa. I mean, it's like meat, potato, vegetables, dessert, a salad fork, and a regular fork, which I, we never do, you know. But, but, you know, it's just like, wow, this is, and you're ready, I mean, you're ready to dig in because you look at that table and you go, man, this meal has really been prepared and you're ready to eat. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big difference between something that's prepared and something that's just kind of thrown together, right? Listen to this. This is exciting to me. Heaven is not just thrown together. Heaven is prepared. In fact, Jesus says it twice in two verses. I go and prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a place for you. And in Revelation 21, listen to this. John says this, that when he sees New Jerusalem, when he sees the, 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 the holy city, when he sees heaven coming down out of heaven from God, he says he sees it, verse 2, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's pretty good there, y'all. Listen, brides are prepared, aren't they, for their, their, for, for their, their, their uh, uh, wedding. I just know, hey, raise your hand if you are a guy and you are, have, are married and you've gone through a wedding. 
Raise your hand. Look at that. Look at all the, most of the guys have raised their hands. All right, now raise your hand if you're a female and you're married, you've had a wedding. All right, look at that. Wow, look at that. So we ought to all be able to relate this. This is what Jesus is getting at. Think about this. Think about guys especially. When you got engaged, the moment you got engaged, the preparation started right then. I mean, you gave the ring. Your, your, your bride started calling her mom and her dad, her family, her friends. She started making preparations right then. They started. And if you're like us, it was maybe over a year before we got married from the time I engaged, uh, proposed to my wife, Kim. And, uh, and, and, and she began to make preparations right away. You know, and, and stuff, guys, that we would never think about, right? Like colors, like font on the program. I mean, who cares about what kind of font is on the program? Times Roman, is that, that's on my computer, use that, you know? But she, she I mean, your, your bride, I mean, she, she was preparing. She was thinking through all that stuff, you know? And then maybe that year goes by and, and, and the day of the wedding, I mean, you just, all you had to do is go get your tux, right, the day before. I mean, you just, you just, if you're a guy, you're just kind of sitting back and, and, and your bride is doing all this preparation, right? And then you show up if you're like me, and you're like, you walk into this church, and you're like, wow, good night. This place is beautiful. And then you realize you had nothing to do with it, you know? <laughs> Just like, wow, flowers and candles, and wow, everything's white and, you know, bright. And, and, and it just, you, you, in that moment, you just realize, gosh. And you, and you realize that. Your bride didn't just wake up that morning and go, I better go over to the church and start getting stuff ready. I mean, it had been prepared. And then you see your bride come down that aisle, you know, and you're standing there, you know, like this, by all your, your boys, you know, and you're standing here. And uh, she comes down, if you're like me, I just see this, this nice brown figure under this veil. You know, I can't quite see her just quite yet, and uh, she's coming closer. And she, I mean, she looks beautiful in this dress that I'd never seen before. It's like, good night. That's a beautiful dress. And she gets closer, and then they lift that veil up, you know, and you just kind of go, wow. You even say it backwards, wow. <laughs> you even set it upside down, Mom. Mama Mia, you know, that, that, you know, just, and you're just like, what? But, but here's the thing. Your bride didn't get up that morning and go, I, I, I'll go pick out a dress. I mean, it was prepared. I mean, she had been working on that thing months before, and maybe it took her months to find the, find the perfect dress. She didn't wake up that morning and go, I think I'll get my hair done and my nails done and my makeup done. I mean, she was preparing that stuff long ago. She didn't just throw it together on the fly the day of the wedding. Y'all feeling what I'm saying? But it was prepared. And heaven, in a similar way, is going to be just like. Jesus hadn't just thrown it together on the fly. Jesus hadn't just said, well, I think I'm about to uh, uh, sound the trump. The rapture is going to occur. Uh, you know, I'm going to bring the, the church, the Christians to heaven. I guess I better start getting stuff ready. No, he's been preparing heaven for us, when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead, when he ascended back to heaven, he began to prepare heaven for you and I, this place that we will go and live with him for all eternity. Isn't that good news? 
It's a prepared place. Every detail of heaven is prepared. He's going, and look at this. He's going to prepare this place for you and me. I hope you feel yourself in that. As he talks to his disciples, if you're a follower of Christ, you're his disciple. And so imagine you're in that circle with the 12, and Jesus says there's this real place with real streets. It's a real city. It has real gates, and it's a beautiful place. One day it's going to come down out from God, out of heaven, and it will rest on this new earth that God will create. It's a real place. And guess what? I hadn't just thrown it together on the fly. I have been preparing this for you, for you, my disciples, my followers. What great encouragement we see in this. We see the place of heaven, the preparation of heaven, but notice the promise of heaven. Notice it's here in this verse. He says here, he says, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, watch this, I will come again. That's the promise. And receive you to myself, that, that where I am, there you may be also. So, Christ promises heaven to us. He promises that he's going to prepare this place for us. And with this promise, he promises to come again. And, you know, I know probably every pastor, every theologian, every Bible teacher, many Christians have thought that we're living in the days that Jesus will come back. But I really do. I, I believe we're living in the days that Christ could come back. And even if he doesn't come back, I mean, we don't know the day or the hour, so don't hear me to make a prediction here because I'm not. But even if he didn't come, come back, I mean, I think we ought to live our lives with this perspective that, man, Jesus, Jesus could come back in my lifetime. And here's the thing. His return, his coming again, shouldn't scare us. There's no fear here. I remember when I was a, 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 first became a Christian, whenever somebody would talk about Christ coming back, whenever somebody would talk about death and heaven and hell and all these things, I would get, I get, I would get pretty uh, frightened about it, you know. And, and it, just, it, just, it just scared me to think, well, what if and life after, all that. It just, it just spooked me out. But as I read this, I mean, there's great comfort here. Notice the promise is to come again, so Christ will come again. But notice with the promise to come again is to receive you, if you are a follower of Christ, to himself. That where he is, you might be also. That's part of the promise too. I'm going to come again, and when I come, I'm going to receive you to myself. And when my kids were little... Um, particularly when I was working with FCA, sometimes I would take trips, sometimes I'd be at a camp or something like that, and I would come back after being gone for a little while. And uh, when they were real little, they don't do this now uh, 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 that much, um, but uh, I would come in, and they would say, Daddy! And they would hear me come in, open the door, and I would go on one knee like this, and I would just wait for them just to come running in my arms. You know, just this, I just love when they were little girls so, so much. My oldest still kind of runs in my arms a little bit. She's the affectionate one. She'll kiss me, and, uh, and she's not, even though she's 18, she still does it. My youngest, Kristen, she don't, she, you can't even pay her $50 to give you a kiss, you know. <laughs> um, but, 
When they were little, they did it, boy. And, uh, you know, and so, so I, I, would, I would, you know, be like this. And, and, uh, and they would just come and run and jump into my arms. And I would just receive them. And we're together. And there was this joyful reunion. And it was just this beautiful picture, you know. And if you're a dad or a mom, I mean, you know what it's like. Particularly when your kids are little, you've been away, been at work, whatever. And you come home and there's this great joy and excitement to see. And you, what do you do? You receive them. You don't reject them, do you? You don't come home and say, get out, get out of here, I'm, I'm tired, I'm whatever. You, you don't do that, but you receive them. And that's the picture. I don't know if it's going to be like that, but that's just kind of what I, what I sense when I, when I hear him coming again and then him receiving us to himself. And here's the great, we got a lot to look forward to. That when he comes again, he's going to receive us to himself. That where he is, we'll, we'll be with him. And Revelation 21 talks about, uh, uh, the tabernacle of God being in the city. The tabernacle was where the presence of God was in the Old Testament, right? And so the very presence of God will be in heaven, and he will receive us. What a beautiful picture that we'll, we'll be where he is. See, this morning, you don't have to, if you're a believer in Christ, you don't have to fear. But you can look forward to the day when you'll see Daddy, your heavenly Father, and he'll receive you to himself. We see the place, the preparation, the promise. Then notice the perfection real quickly in Revelation 21. We see heaven is a perfect place. Notice in 21 of Revelation, uh, verse 3 says, He heard a loud voice. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So God's very presence will always be with his people when we get to heaven. But notice verse 4. We see how perfect this place is, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is incredible. There shall be no more death, sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. In case you don't believe it, at the end of verse 5, he says, right, for these words are faithful and true. You can take it to the bank. Heaven's a perfect place. And you know what? There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more grief. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more dying. We've all had loved ones that have died and gone on. And hopefully our loved ones have been in Christ. My dad, let me tell you real quickly because my time is running out. My dad, uh, he, he lived for 60 years. And he was not walking with Christ in the first 60 years of his life. Unfortunately, he got lung cancer. And it was right about that time he came to Christ through our church. And, um, and he began to walk with Christ. Two years later, he passed away of lung cancer. And I look forward to seeing him one day. And I look forward to seeing him in a place where death will no longer separate us. I don't know if you've had a loved one to go on to be with the Lord. I'm sure many have. But just think about this. Death will no longer separate us. Death will be no more. Pain will be no more. Crying and, and sorrow and grief will be no more. And I don't know where you are today. Maybe life has been tough for you lately. I know for us, this past year has been a difficult year for us. I was sharing with the early service, the, um, the, the 9 o'clock service. And, and one of the things that difficulty can do when you have pain and sorrow and, and just um, obstacles and just things going on in your life, 
It can cause you to long for heaven. I think that's why God does it. He allows things to come in our life because it will cause us to yearn for heaven. This perfect place where we won't have to worry about that stuff anymore. I don't know if anybody else longs for that, but Pastor Scott was saying between this service and the first service, um, how this week he even said, come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, come, Lord Jesus. You know, we look forward to going to this place that's perfect. But notice the, 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 uh, the fifth thing about heaven. It's a pure place, the purity of heaven. If you keep reading down here uh, in Revelation 21, listen to what he says here. He says uh, in verse uh, 6, and he said to me, John is, uh, Jesus said to John, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And I love this verse because, you know what, you may be here and maybe you're thirsting. And maybe you got this spiritual hunger, this spiritual thirst, and maybe you've been trying to fill that void in your heart with something else. You know, money can't quench that thirst. Position and power relationships, unless it's a relationship with Christ, relationships can't, can't fill that thirst, that void, that hunger. Uh, nothing in this world can satisfy this hole in our hearts. And so often we try to fill that hole with rectangular and triangle-shaped things that, that just don't fit, and the only thing that can really quench that thirst is Jesus. And notice what he says here. I love this. He says here... Uh, I will give of the fountain of water of life freely. He gives it to us freely of him who thirsts. And so if you're thirsting this morning, hey, we have a God that can quench your thirst. He can satisfy your soul. He can satisfy your greatest desire and your greatest need. He is your, your greatest desire. You just, may just, you just don't know it yet. He is your greatest need. You just don't know it. But if you'll come to him today and you'll confess your sins and, and fall before him humbly and turn from your sin and believe in his son, oh, he will come into your heart and satisfy your soul. And it's free. You don't have to work for it. It's free. But notice what he says. He says, he who overcomes, verse 7, all these things, I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And here John is describing people who are living in unrepentant sin and rebellion from God. He's not talking about if you've, if you've done these things. Many of us have done all of these things. But he's talking about a person who lives their life in a lifestyle, a pattern, a practice of sin and rebellion, a lifestyle of rebellion towards God. I was sharing with the first service that I had shared the gospel with someone who professed to be a believer but was living in rebellion to God. And, and the, some of these things that John mentions on this list, he was, he was involved in those things unashamedly. And I remember challenging him, hey, bro, you know, I hear your profession, but your practice doesn't match your profession. And he did this. He said, well, whenever I go out and sin, I just first John 1, 9 it. I said, that's dangerous. 
Because the heart of 1 John 1, 9 is if I sin, if I mess up, God is so gracious and he's faithful and just. He'll forgive me of my sins and he'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But if you keep reading 1 John uh, uh, after verse 9, 10, you get to 2, verse 1. The goal is not to sin, John says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atonement for our sin. So, So the goal is not to sin, though. The goal is not to just, it's cheap grace, hey, if I sin, 1 John 1, not, no, no. And so maybe you're here and maybe you, you might say, you know what, I, I got sin in my life. It's unrepentant, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, I, it's, it's hidden, it's secret, whatever it might be. And you're living in rebellion, you're, you're going in the opposite direction. I encourage you with, with as much love as, and compassion as I can muster in my heart to, to, to turn from your sin and repent. Turn to Jesus who loves you so much, who will set you free from your sin, who will fill your greatest desire. And he'll be your Lord and Savior. But John is clear. Hey, if, you, if, you're, if this is your lifestyle, if this is your, your habit, you, you won't enter the kingdom of God. Here's our final point, going back to John 14. Y'all still with me? We see the place. We see the preparation of heaven, the promise of it, the perfection and the purity of it. But notice the best part for last, the pathway to heaven. How do you get there? Yes, my brother. I love Steve Trexler. Steve taught me in middle school, y'all. He taught me in middle school. Junior high. Yeah, they didn't call it middle school back then. It was junior high. That's right. It's Jesus. Look at what he says in, in, in that, that uh, sixth verse. He says here, Thomas keeps real, Lord, we don't know. Where, what are you talking about, Lord? We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? What are you, what are you talking about? I mean, that's, that's basically what Thomas is saying here. And then Jesus makes it clear, doesn't he? He says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is one of Jesus' um, seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. He'll say, I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection of the life. He says seven I am statements. Um, before Abraham was, I am, you know, here's one of those I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. A great statement by Jesus. And Jesus uh, makes a claim to lordship here. And Jesus is simply saying this, you all, you, you know, I'm the only way to get to the Father's house. I'm the only way to get to God. Now, going back to my illustration, we'll close with this. If I invited you to my house, let's say I had a house big enough for all of us. And so I said, hey, after church, everybody come to my house. It's, it's, it's a big, big house, lots and lots of room. We got a big, big table, lots and lots of food. It's a big, big yard where we're going to play some football. It's a big, big house. Come over to Pete's house. Let's say if my house was there. And so I invited you over, okay? And let's say you all agreed to come. You agreed to come. Let, let, and you said, well, how do, how do we get there? How, how do we get there? You can get to my house many different ways from this point. Let me just give you a few. You can go out here and get on 70 highway going towards Durham, and then once you get on 70, get off on 540, go all the way down 540 to Nightdale, get off on Highway 64. At Highway 64, you take a left on Hodge Road. Go down Hodge Road, my neighborhood's right down on 
the right. You could get that's one way you could get there. Or you could do the same thing 70, 540, go all the way to Nightgale. Don't get off on 64 though. Keep going, get off on the 64 bypass. You come up the back way, you still get on a Hodge Road, but that's another way you could come. You could uh, go down 70. Instead of going towards Durham, you go towards Raleigh. When you get to Crabtree Valley Mall, get on the, uh, the belt line going towards the hospital, okay? And you go towards the hospital. Uh, when you get to the hospital, you can do one of two things. You could get off on 64 right there at the hospital going towards uh, Nightdale, or you could keep going, get up on the 64 bypass, get to my home that way. You, there, there's another way you could get there. You could go all the way uh, up um, 70, 540, get off on 64, or you could go down the Falls of the News, go all the way to Wake Forest. You're going the roundabout way this way, though, but cut through Wake Forest, come up the back way, up by... Um, uh, uh, Buffalo Road, get cross over Smithfield, get on, then you're at my house. Now, I give you about 20 different ways that you can get to my house. There's only one way to get to the Father's house. There's only one road to get to the Father's house. And that road is J-E-S-U-S. You can't get to his house any other way. He is the way. And you know, in the culture that we live in, People kind of kick against that, don't they? Well, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it, that Jesus would say he's the only way? Well, he does. He, 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 it's not arrogance. That's, that's what you do when you're Lord, right? And that's what you do when you love. If, if Jesus is the only way to get to God, and that is indeed true, isn't it loving that he would tell you he's the only way? He says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. His very essence, his very nature is, is truth. Over and over in here, he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. In Revelation 21, he says, write these things down. They're faithful and true. Jesus is truth, and he's the life. Life only comes through him. Eternal life comes through knowing Jesus Christ. John 17 tells us that. He is the life. And so today, let me ask you. Are you looking forward to the Father's house? It's a place. It's prepared. It's promised to us. It's a perfect house. It's a perfect place. It's a pure place. But then the pathway to it is Jesus. You can come to Jesus and, and you can make your reservations to be in the Father's house one day. If you don't know Christ, I want to just bow and just close in prayer. But if you don't know Christ, I'm going to invite you. To give your heart to him. The Bible says that if we'll just come to him in faith. That we just believe. We're, we're sinful. All of us are. All of us are jacked up. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can meet the standard of God. Which is perfection. Which is holiness. But Christ has met that standard for us. In his life. In his death. In his burial. In his resurrection. He took our place on the cross. And so if you'll come to him today and believe, believe that he is the son of God, that he is the savior, and repent. Repent of your sin. By God's grace, with God's help, turn from your sin and turn to him.